The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. Welcome back to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Today we have the distinct pleasure of joining with Brian Orr, who is the podcast guru, who's the guy that got me into podcasting. He's the HVAC school mentor, the guy that created the HVAC school. We'll be talking about our mutual, sometimes shared and mutual experience at the AHR Expo. That's the Air Conditioning, Heating, Refrigeration Expo that was held in Chicago in January 2018. That's a great trade show and a great learning educational experience for anyone who is interested in anything remotely related to HVACR, building science, etc. And part of our goal is to make people aware of what happened and to try to get you out there or at least connecting with some of the great things that we saw. We have a little discussion here coming up, and we're also sharing the show jointly on both the Building HVAC Science podcast as well as the HVAC School podcast. So grab a cup of coffee, glass of water, iced tea, whatever, sit down, listen up. We'll be talking for about an hour about all our observations during the AHR Expo 2018. This is the first time I've ever done this sort of thing, which is we're both, me being Brian Orr and other we being the great Bill Spohn. I'll let you. Hey, hi. There you are. There's Bill. We're both kind of co-hosting this and we're just sitting drinking a cup of coffee on separate sides of the country, but both sitting here drinking a cup of coffee. And it was Bill's idea to just sit down and talk about our experience at AHR, what we saw, what we learned, how it went. I thought that was a great idea. So that's what we're going to do. Thank you. I appreciate you doing this. And I think sort of the way to kick it off might be to go back to the first day on Sunday when we had our little meetup. But how many people showed up, do you think? 30, 35? Probably in that range. Yeah, 30, 35. A couple kind of bounced in and out quickly. Yeah, that was really nice. I didn't really know what to expect. And actually, it kind of got started when we were driving, at least I was riding in a Lyft or Uber alternative from the airport to the hotel. And I start getting some concerned messages about how busy the bar is. And we realized that we had the time wrong on our meetup. And so there was a little bit of fear and consternation about how it was going to go. But it actually turned out really nice. I got to meet quite a few people. It did. And it was, the point of doing that for me was to connect in the real world with people we've met virtually and have conversations with all the time and sort of feel like we know them, but to meet them in person, to kind of be there with their physical presence. And I got to meet Bill Wallace, who's a customer of ours great HVAC contractor, but also does aero seal work, really into the whole building performance scope. Got to meet him in person. And Andrew Greaves. Andrew Greaves is HVAC vehicle layouts and HVAC comedy. Yeah. He's the guy that does all the funny little clips. Yeah. Yep. Fun to meet those people and um, our friends from different manufacturers. Jim Bergman was there for a little bit. James Jackson from Emerson. I even got to meet the real Nathan or in person. <laughs> I was thrilled. I think my brother was a little bit overwhelmed by the whole thing. He didn't really play the character that he plays on Facebook. No, he didn't at all. <laughs> I think I saw him by Tuesday. He was loosening up. This was Sunday. We met him. I met him first. And by Tuesday, he was sort of loosening up and prodding at you when you were doing those live demos at the Rector Seal booth. Yeah, that's true. My thinking was that if I brought my brother along, at least my ego couldn't get too out of control. <laughs> so <laughs> mission accomplished on that front. 
So I was there with my brother and you were there with Eric and Matt, right? Matt was with you as well. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we got to meet the whole group of people who were there who consume the podcast or pay attention to our content. And that was a lot of fun. Um, James Bowman was there, who obviously has been a contributor to my podcast quite a bit. And it was great seeing James in person. So yeah, that was Sunday. And then I had to jet earlier because I needed to go to an Emerson event with our mutual friend, James Jackson from Emerson. So what was that about? First of all, it was an interesting location. So it was at Soldier Field, which is the home of the Bears, uh, which is actually a really beautiful stadium. It's, they've done some renovations on it. And obviously, we weren't on the field, but you could walk down and actually walk in the stadium and see the field and everything. But they had a big room. So they were showing the NFC Championship game. And while that was going on, there was just zillions, I think that was the exact number, of Emerson employees. It's amazing how big that organization is. It is, truly. Emerson employees and customers were just all over the place. And James was just running around and introducing me to different people, which was a really nice time. I got to meet some great people. And once again, I'm struck by how many really excellent human beings work at that organization. I've always been a big fan of Emerson, and it was nice to get to meet some more people over there. And obviously, James is a connector, so he's expecting me to remember the 500 names and positions of all the different people that he's introducing me to, which that's not my strength. I'm trying to keep up with him, but he's going a 1,000 miles an hour. So it was fun and overwhelming at the same time. So it's funny. Afterwards, James texted me a couple of times. Hey, do you have contact people, contact info for this person? Do you have contact info for this person? So he did it like two or three times. Then the last one, I texted him back and I said, you have remaining seven Spone coin credits for the year. <laughs> yes. So I've actually turned myself into a currency. <laughs> That's a good idea. Everything should be a cryptocurrency nowadays. That's all the rage. I mean, it may be better just for us to share our entire contact list with him. So that way we don't have to keep... Uh, Never do it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's people who are like that. And James is a really high functioning, just a connector. So he knows a lot of people and is able to make a lot of connections. And actually, one thing I was struck about from an overarching standpoint that I wanted to mention here is how many people I know because of you. And it's kind of first and second level, people who you've introduced me to, and then people who those people have introduced me to, and how much that's changed in the last year is pretty wild. And also very surprising how quickly that can happen. It is. And I think I'm a sharer. I'm a networker. You are too. But I think it's sort of my philosophy is one of abundance. Like, I don't have to worry about the competition hearing this, that kind of thing. There's just plenty of good work to be done by a lot of good people. And we're both trying to encourage people to do better work, to connect and to really do better work for their employers, for themselves, for self-fulfillment, for their customers, for the country. It's very, very positive. I'd like to stay positive. For sure. So anything else on Sunday that struck you? Lightning? No. We got a chance to, I feel like I'm bragging here, but one of our vendors took us up to the signature room, which is at the top of, I think it's the John Hancock Tower, uh, the 95th floor supposedly a spectacular view. And I say supposedly because Chicago was locked down in fog. You couldn't see anything for 10 feet at that level. We saw the street once from 95 floors up. And it's, this is the, the building where we had been told it has a sway of up to 13 feet. And there are counterweights or counterbalances to keep the skyscraper from moving too far. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Really crazy. So was the food good? Oh, the food was really excellent. The service and everything, they brought out this multi-story seafood appetizer thing with crab legs and shrimp and oysters on it. It was just, again, I feel like I'm bragging. I didn't get a chance to do these. My wife always says like, hey, you get to go to the nice restaurants. But I spent a lot of time out there uh, pressing the flesh so that supposedly this is my return from that. Okay. I'm sure Marilyn doesn't sound like that in person when she said. <laughs> no, not entirely, but the look is there. Okay. So now going into 
the actual, because that was the night before, and then we had three full days of AHR. So let's kind of talk high level here. What are some things that now that you've had a chance to sit back and reminisce on AHR, what are some of the things that are coming to mind as far as things that had a big impact on you or maybe a big impact on the future? I think the the thing that struck me most, and I just keep staring at it, and I regret not taking a picture, but someone else did, was the presentation at the AccuTools booth and how they visually projected the rate of evacuation through three different systems, actually using the same vacuum pump, and it was a new pump by Fieldpiece, but using three different bore diameters of hoses. I believe it was a quarter inch, half inch, and one inch bore diameter. And people listening might say, wait, one inch? Who's making a one inch? Well, now AccuTools is. They have something called a True Blue hose, a hose kit, actually, with uh, different end connectors that you can actually clamp onto it with these self-centering O-rings and using, uh, I believe it's vinyl tubing that even though rubber doesn't leak that much, vacuum-rated hoses, but this has like leak rate very close to zero. They showed graphically, and Brian, someone posted on, was it HVAC school page? Glenn Harrison? Yeah, Glenn posted on a couple different groups everything about this kit, and it is incredible. What's interesting about it is it also represents a completely different type of system where you have different end types. So you can go all the way down to a quarter inch end type with a 90. You can use the full diameter end type. There's just all sorts of different connectors. So that way you can connect to the type of pump that you have, because sometimes you're limited to what you've got, what type of connectors you've got. And obviously on the equipment side, generally going to be limited to a quarter inch connector. And so you can actually change the ends out and you can connect the hoses end to end in order to use three foot or six foot, which is really smart. And it's more than just the traditional connections that you would just thread to on that potentially could leak. These are super industrial feeling connectors. They actually wrap around and have a like a butterfly style clamp on them. And they're really just very high quality product. And for those of you who don't know, because I want to mention this real quick, AccuTools is the company that makes BlueVac. So I think a lot of you are familiar with BlueVac, but AccuTools is kind of the mother company. And it's amazing the things that they're coming out with. And it has a lot to do with Dennis. Dennis Cardinal, I think is how his name is pronounced. He's the founder of that company. But then he's working closely with Jim Bergman, which is sort of an all-star team developing these products. And it was a very, very convincing presentation, probably one of the most convincing presentations that I've seen as it relates to vacuum. The thing is, it actually wasn't a presentation. It was just the equipment was sitting there. And the other thing was remarkable was the quietness of those three vacuum pumps running at the booth. You could have a conversation standing over them. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. I kind of played around a little bit with the field piece vacuum pump at their booth and then also at the AccuTools booth. And I'm really impressed by it. I think it's a very, very nice tool from a lot of different reasons, but it's a lot of the small things. You know, you can change the oil while it's running. On the fly, yeah. Yeah. And also the disposal is really nice on it. So you can dispose of the oil easily. You can actually pull the canister out and dispose of it easily, which is a challenge for most people with a vacuum pump. I mean, to kind of tip it in order to dispose of the oil. You don't have to do, there's no tipping required with this. And then also just small things like the number of ports and where they're positioned on the pump is perfect. So you can set your pump right next to the unit and they're kind of on the side at a 45 instead of coming off the top. Because those of us who do it day in and day out know what a pain it is. A lot of times the larger diameter ports come off the top and so then you have to loop around and over. And then with typical half inch rubber hoses, that can be very difficult. You're fighting yeah, you're fighting it. Whereas with these vinyl hoses also, the diameter, it's easier to bend them without kinking them, which is also pretty incredible given the diameter of the hoses. There's just a lot of really good things about it. You could coil the three-foot hose. I think it was like the size of a dinner plate 
it was easy to coil with two hands, just right. It was very, very compact. But that was very interesting. Also, the other thing was the innovation is that all the BlueVac gauges are going to Bluetooth, so they'll be able to talk to the BlueVac app and to MeasureQuick. So you'll be able to see. And I just read that they're working on multiple gauges to be able to relay into MeasureQuick and the BlueVac app. I heard that's coming too. Which makes sense for a couple of different reasons. I mean, in some cases, you may want to confirm one gauge against another. And with these setups, you can actually look at what your pressure is at the pump versus what it is at the equipment. That has some value in it. It's nice if you have a question about, well, is my gauge working properly? Now you can actually graph them next to each other. And then the even more obvious application is if you're working on a site where you're doing multiple vacuums at once, you can pair them all at one time and watch them all simultaneously. Monitor the whole situation. Correct, which is pretty awesome. And Dennis pointed out to me, he said the the work is getting done at the tank side of it. And then they had a blue vac on the tank and a blue vac on the pump to show you the difference between the two. And with the one inch hose, the difference was like 15 microns from like 42 to 67, maybe 25 microns. Whereas you got to the tinier bore hoses and the difference escalated to like a thousand. Which is what we always talk about. And this kind of gets back to application. I always like to mix in application in these conversations, which is why you can't take a regular setup and connect your micron gauge at the pump and have any real idea of how it's functioning in the system. And that's what techs see all the time. They'll connect their micron gauge at the pump. They'll valve it off and all of a sudden they'll see it jump way up and they wonder what's happening. They think they have a leak. Well, no, not necessarily. It's just that you have such a great pressure drop in between where that hose is connected at the equipment before it gets to the pump, that of course it's going to jump up because it equalizes as soon as you isolate it. And that's the challenge there. For those of you out in the field, you know how many of us for years were connecting our micron gauges at the pump. And I think that was a big factor of why so many techs felt like these stupid micron gauges don't work. <laughs> it's because we were putting them in the wrong place. Yeah. Just a, a really good in-person demonstration there that they did. They also showed a new Bluetooth connected combustion analyzer. Did you get a chance to look at that one? I didn't. I looked at the specs of it later and it looks really great, but I didn't see it there. And they're calling that blue flame, I believe, which is nice keeping the blue consistent. This is kind of a nitpicky thing with me, but I was talking with Neil Comparetto about this. And Neil is one of my favorite dudes in HVAC. Both of us feel the same that I like branding that feels pro and not kitschy or silly. Everybody knows if you listen to the end of my podcast, I tell dad jokes. I'm not afraid of being silly, but when it comes down to a product or a brand, I would rather it be clean and clear and professional feeling. I'm not going to name any names, but when you walk around AHR, there's a lot of brands that just kind of feel goofy with the way that they promote their stuff. The brands feel like they're trying to be macho or something. And I like the way that, that Blue Vac brands, it feels very professional grade and they keep it simple. They keep it clean. They focus on the fundamentals. And again, the sense that I always get is if you're focusing so much on the sizzle, then maybe you're not focusing on the steak. Maybe you don't have any. Right, exactly. So you're, you're working on the fancy magic tricks where AccuTools and BlueVac have consistently focused on the fundamentals, the engineering of the products. And anyone who's used a BlueVac micron gauge knows how good it is. I think even the science, I would say, that they really understand the science. And I'm not going to go into it and keep gushing over Dennis. And also he has a partner, Cornell Opress, who's really the logistics guy behind Dennis's sort of uh, engineering and technical brilliance. But Dennis gave me kind of his background. It's, it's a very interesting story of where he's the arc of his career. Very interesting guy. Cool. Yeah. So anything else that jumped out at you that you're hanging on to leaving the show? One other was the Bacharach introduced a new combustion and emissions analyzer called the PCA 400. 
And I think PCA stands for Portable Combustion Analyzer. And this one is a four gas unit. It's really suitable for commercial and industrial situations for doing things like gas engines. These are the kind of engines that do a compression of natural gas to do spot checking and tuning those engines for the oil and gas market. So this is sort of a growth from the FireEye Pluses and the Intex that we're familiar with on the HVAC side, but they've moved into the commercial and industrial boiler phase. What they've done here is they've gone back to the roots and they followed the science. When you analyze gases like nitric oxide and sulfur dioxide, these are sticky gases. And so they understand that very well. So they actually have hoses that are made of Viton which is a trademark material that will not absorb these gases. And in addition to that, you get a lot of 100% humidity basically coming from a combustion outlet from a stack. The water can also absorb the gases. So if you're trying to read these sticky gases, you may absorb them in your system before they ever reach the sensors in the handheld unit. They've made this modular, really nifty modular chiller, which actually snaps onto the bottom of their probe and it knocks out the water so that they remove the water from the sample gas, you're not affected. It's, I mean, I'm getting real deep into the weeds here, but it's important to do these kind of things correctly. I should just summarize with that. They follow the science, they follow the engineering, and then sort of execute it beautifully so that you can get your work done correctly and efficiently. Yeah, for sure. And that's exactly what I think we all want to see from a manufacturer of tools, a manufacturer of products, a manufacturer of equipment. We want to see that they're paying attention to those fine details that can give you a better result or that are those fine details that all along have been preventing us from doing our job well in the first place. And that's what we talk when Jim and I talk. We are always talking about those sorts of things, all these little fine details that end up giving you a poor result and ends up with technicians not having confidence in the process. And we really need to have products and tools that support technician confidence in the process so that that way they actually do the process, right? Right. And you said, like, we want to see that they do it right, but sometimes we don't even know what right is. I'm going to amplify that and say, what we want to see is how they do it correctly. We want to see the understory. And we're encouraging people to look for that understory and understand, we want you to like crack it open and explain how you got there with this. Not that we're not trusting you, but I think the appreciation of it just sort of changes the tide and perhaps even builds brand loyalty. So all the manufacturers out there, I think if you take heed of this, the ones that are doing this well, those are the ones people tend to follow. Well, and it's also that I think a piece of what we're doing, which is a smaller piece, but it is a piece of what we're doing, is that when we help teach application, and so we actually get technicians using products in the way that they're supposed to be used, then we learn something at scale that maybe we didn't know before. So before, when maybe only 1% of technicians were following these best practices with combustion analysis, with evacuation, all these sort of more advanced techniques that we know a good portion of the industry hasn't been practicing. When we get a larger percentage, we start to learn things that we just didn't have the opportunity to learn before. And it also makes products commercially viable that may not have been commercially viable before because now you have this bulk of technicians. So it really is something that kind of snowballs, but snowballs in a good way versus snowballing in a bad way, which would be somebody trying to do it the right way and then finding out that the tools that they have doesn't even support what they're attempting to do is similar to what Jim found out when he attempted to calculate delivered capacity using enthalpy calculations in the old form of tools. He found out that he just wasn't getting the right numbers and ended up being driven towards better equipment. I think that's what we're doing, hopefully at scale by educating the industry. It's pretty exciting stuff. It is. And I'll say that several people I've 
continue to introduce the HVAC School podcast, so a little bit of shine a little bit of light on what you're doing, the tech tips. You got to meet Bruce Manclark there from Clear Result. He's totally thrilled with what you're doing. He said, somebody's actually teaching the right stuff, and they're teaching the way that technicians understand. And Clear Result's a large consulting organization that does energy programs. Pretty much primarily, they do energy programs for different utilities. And he's now passing around the good word about the HVAC School to a number of people. So I think what you're doing is really great thing. I didn't know about you 13 months ago, pretty much. I mean, you were off, totally <laughs> off my radar. So excellent progress that you got on my radar. <laughs> <laughs> if you get on Bill Spohn's radar, here's the real message here. That is the secret to success. Get on Bill Spohn's radar and then everything changes. There you go. Now, another thing I have to mention here, because I, I've forgotten to do this on the podcast, but Brandon Widerhold is the guy who introduced me to you. And Brandon was actually the guy who first built the HVAC school, the first version of the website. So props to Brandon, because without him, who knows, I may have never met you. So thank you, Brandon, for that. I do remember that now. Wow. Taking me back 13, 14 months. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. This is way back to when we first met. It was amazing. So another thing I wanted to mention, so kind of along this line, I got to have a really interesting conversation with Jim Adcox from Supco, which piggybacks on what we were talking about with AccuTools. I know this is sort of a a Jim Bergman love fest here, but I think that's the whole purpose of my podcast, at least, is to provide love for Jim Bergman and everything he's done. But Jim introduced me to, Jim Bergman introduced me to Jim Adcox from Supco, and Supco is actually going to be distributing the AccuTools brands and the Redfish meters and a lot of those products that Jim's working on and working with. So the conversation I had with Jim Adcox was a different one, though. He was talking about surge suppression. I'm not going to go through all of the gruesome details, but many of you know that there was some issues with some surge suppressors. Some of them had the SEPCO name on them and that resulted in thermal runaway, which resulted in a lot of siding being melted on homes. So there's pictures all over. Any of you who are in my Facebook group know there's these pictures with disconnects and surge suppressors on the side of the disconnects and just melted siding. And the reputation was is that these are bad products and they don't work. And Jim started telling me a story that I never heard before about this particular type of surge suppressor, how they work and how they function and what thermal runaway is and how this all occurs. And when he was telling it to me, I'm going to be honest, it sounded like a sales pitch to me because he was talking about how he came out with a new product and it's different and it actually shuts the equipment off and it actually tells you when there's a grounding problem or when the units failed and it doesn't allow it to keep running, which prevents thermal runaway. And he was just going through this whole thing. And he very masterfully told, but almost too masterfully for me. I was like, okay, where's this guy coming from? But then when I did what I always do, when someone tells me something that I've just never heard before, I went back and researched it. And every single thing he said ended up being true. Every single thing that he said about the old product, about what they've done with their new product, ended up being spot on with what I was able to research through third parties. It was really refreshing to have that happen. For those of you who are familiar with... PCOs in the indoor air quality space and all of the different talk that goes about that and all of the conflicting things that people say about that space and how confusing it is. I've done countless hours of research on that and I still don't know exactly how I stand on all the different aspects of that technology. But it was just neat to talk to somebody, have them tell me something and then find out that, yeah, he's done his research in this product. I haven't used it yet, so I can't speak to everything about it. But I can say that he's clearly personally researched this and made some good choices in the production of this new product, which I think is pretty cool. 
For those of you that don't know, Jim Adcox has been with SUPCO for about five years, but in his career path, he was actually senior vice president at Johnstone Supply. So this guy's just not coming out of nowhere. He spent uh, almost a dozen years at Johnstone. So the guy knows the industry. Yeah, exactly. And just the way he was talking about product and things, as I was listening to him, I was just like, either this guy is the world's best salesman, or he really knows his stuff. And having gone back and researched a topic that I knew very little about, I believe that he really knows his stuff. So I hope to get him on the podcast to kind of tell that story about surge suppression because it was a really compelling story. But that was an enjoyable conversation. It's enjoyable to see people and talk to people who have done their research. And yeah, they may be able to sell, but it's more than that. It, there's some substance behind it. And often it's those who have the most substance that are able to actually influence their brands for good. And I'm excited to see what Jim's doing it over at Subco. Absolutely. One embarrassing moment is I called Brian out on something. I was hoping you would bring this up. I'll let you tell the story of your impression and how this went down. It may be a totally different one. I probably called you out several times, at least in your mind. Good. Well, calling me out several <laughs> times is good. I was thinking more about my attire, but there may be something in addition to that. <laughs> no, you can tell that one. <laughs> okay. On the last day on Wednesday, we cruised on by the refrigeration technologies booth. I got to see John Pastorello and Mike and their whole team there. And just they've gone great guns. And I congratulate them on their use of social media. They had a, like a nice picture of them coming off of the, the car ride in from the airport, uh, posted that on social media. And then a few weeks before that, they had actually shown a new piece of apparatus, a large mixing vessel that they use. And I've been to their facility in Anaheim, California. They've got new equipment and they were thanking their customers because customers made it possible for the growth and the success of their business. They're really a heartwarming family story there. John's been on a couple different podcasts. I'm not going to go too deep into his story, but John's first thing was, hey, Bill, he says, where's Brian? He hasn't stopped by yet. And almost he had like a tear in his eye. It started to like <laughs> ripple down his cheek. So I started texting Brian like crazy and said, you got to get over and see John. So did you ever do that, Brian? You asked me to do it, and I did it the very last day in the ending hours. One thing about me, and I actually was talking about this with one of the listeners to the podcast who stopped me. I was saying I do a trade show in the same way that I do life and my podcast in general, which is very chaotically. I just kind of run around, go all sorts of different places, and there's no rhyme nor reason to it. And I was telling him, I bet when Bill goes through the trade show floor, he probably calculates the optimum trajectory and angle <laughs> make sure that he covers every square inch of the floor. And so I actually hadn't been past John's booth yet until I got your message. And so I ran over there and I've talked to John in the past. He's a really nice guy. We ended up having a pretty interesting conversation. He challenged me on a few things. John is a very opinionated guy and a really smart guy. So it was good. It was productive. And he said that he reads the tech tips, which is pretty cool. So hopefully he hears this. And thank you, John, for everything that you shared with me and my brother. Cool. Especially with your brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He needs everything he can get. I got to spend probably better part of 45 minutes with Scott Madden, who's the vice president of the Smart Tool Development for CPS. Scott's the guy that's responsible for the small, the ABM 100, the SPM 100, those Bluetooth connected tools that are used for airflow testing, static pressure measurement, and now the Easy Hood, which is sort of an adaptation of the ABM 200 tool. And he revealed some products that he had there at the show, and he did talk in detail, but he said that there's an arc of products over the next two years that they'll be working on CPS, sort of changing the look and the feel of CPS. Did you get a chance to see the booth or talk with them? 
I did go by the booth. I didn't get a chance to talk to anybody, or I should say I didn't engage in speaking with anybody. I'm a closet introvert, so I have to pretend <laughs> to be an extrovert in order to be a podcaster. But uh, sometimes I just sort of walk by and just hope nobody talks to me, uh, which isn't a good habit. But I did look at the product. I am excited about the easy hood. I had my doubts about it initially, frankly, because of the way that they're applying the technology. But what I found through testing, and now we actually own four of them, is that they're pretty reliable, especially on the low CFM range. They're almost more reliable than some other products. By the time you put in the little adapter so you can go down to the low CFM range, we've really been enjoying it. And it's just so easy to use. So I'm actually, because of that product, more than anything else, I'm really excited to see what they're going to be doing in the future. He did have a clamp meter there. And I'm a little shaky on the entire details on it, but I believe it was a Bluetooth clamp meter that was modeled after many of the features of the Fluke 917, but it also included the power measurement and power factor features of the Testo 770-3. They're starting to get into electrical measurement, and they're planning a big foot in that regime. Very interesting. Did you go to any of the seminars or any of the presentations during the show? No, we had too many places to visit. I think I had 70 people on my list and I visited like 40. Oh, well. And I think that's where a lot of people are because I went to a presentation with Eugene Silberstein from ESCO, who's kind of one of my education heroes. He's a really smart guy. He's written a couple of great books. And he also contributes to the latest versions of the Refrigeration and Air Conditioning Technology Manual, which is kind of the book that I learned the trade from. And so he did one called Pressure Enthalpy Without Tears. And it was just surprising how few people were there. It was interesting because most of the people in that room were educators. Gary Reeker was there and some other educators who I recognized were in the audience. And it's interesting how that happens sometimes where there can be the, almost this echo chamber. And Eugene sort of called that out. The people in this room right now aren't the ones who need to be hearing this. It's those who aren't. I don't want to say that it's sad because I don't think it just is what it is, but it is a challenge. The deeper pieces of this trade are difficult to get people to engage with. And we see the same thing. I mean, I had Carter Stanfield on my podcast talking about pressure enthalpy, and he's a really bright educator. And it was one of the lower downloaded podcasts that we have on a very, very important topic. But because it's the phrase pressure enthalpy, a lot of people get overwhelmed by that and maybe don't engage with it. So that was an, just a general observation that I had, but very nice presentation by Eugene. Yeah. One of the phrases I've been slinging around a lot lately is a quote that I've adapted from Albert Einstein one of my heroes, what's good is not always popular, and what is popular is not always good. That's something to ponder about. And that's where, going back to your lowest downloaded podcast, very few people in the room speaking, preaching to the choir, the educators already know it, want to see and want to learn even more from Eugene at that time. So I guess we're encouraging people. There's a lot of great resources out there now that are easily available, and you just have to commit the time and have the willpower to commit the time to learning from these great resources. Yeah, and I think part of it is that the title of that, I'm not criticizing the title at all, because that is what the presentation was, but the title of that doesn't feel applicable, I think, to most people in the field. And so that's what I came away from in sitting in there and, and seeing that is like, for me, I probably can't attract technicians by talking about pressure enthalpy, but I probably can attract technicians a little bit more by talking about how to diagnose a compressor. And how to diagnose a compressor is compression ratios and in compression ratios is an understanding of pressure enthalpy. So I think maybe that's more it. And, and you've talked about this for years is the idea of speaking about the application and then backing into the science as opposed to starting with the science first, because pressure enthalpy sounds like something you will never use. And most technicians are more practical and they don't want to spend two hours of their day learning something they may never use, which makes sense. 
And when you back them into the science of it, no one's ever said, darn you, Bill Spoon. <laughs> you wasted all my time with all this darn science. You and your sciencey ways, Bill. Yeah, sciencey. Yeah. <laughs> all right. What else? Anything else that jumped out at you? CPS also has a new IAQ meter. And this is on the order of like, it looks sort of like an Apple Home Pod. It's a little unit, maybe a little bit larger diameter than a coffee cup and not quite as tall. And it has a number of IAQ sensors in it. I'm not going to get into the extreme detail on it. I want to see one. I want to get one. I want to play with it. But it's the kind of thing that you might have seen other businesses, other companies offering these to contractors to go in and use them to spot check or to monitor someone's home for things like particulates, temperature, humidity, and to give like a remote console through the internet. You can actually dial into the sensor and see all this log data. So this is really pretty interesting. They're, they're moving in a lot of different directions, CPS. I'm also excited to see what Testo does with their new 440. Obviously, they have a lot of options that connect to it. For those of you who haven't seen it, I did a, a video on the 440 IAQ. And a couple things, I didn't realize that the price point was so competitive. It's a very competitive price point, And I won't go into exactly what it is, but just look it up on truetechtools.com once they get it all up. Yeah, we don't have details on that yet, but soon we will. But what's interesting is they very likely may come out with additional heads that adapt to that. And it also kind of creates a better platform because now you can invest in the most expensive part, which is the handheld actual hub that also can be used as a micromanometer, depending on which model you buy. I'm going to encourage you, if you are going to purchase the Testo 440, to go ahead and get the 440DP, which is the differential pressure, because it's that precision micromanometer that really gives you a lot more options of what you can do with this device. And then once you get that and the handles, then you can get additional heads. And I'm excited to see what heads they're going to add into the fray. They already have a CO2, CO, a lux meter, which is a, a lumen meter, and a lot of other things. But I'm excited to see if they're going to add in some particulate heads and some other things, because that will greatly decrease the cost over buying independent tools. Right. And how they marry it together in this ecosystem with the 440, uh, which does data logging. And it also has Bluetooth, I believe, to take it over to an app to get it out there and get the data communicated. Actually, I have one sitting here next to me and it's laying on top of my iPhone. It has a smaller footprint than my iPhone. So that's the handheld part of it. Very cool. Another quick thing to mention there is I like how seamlessly the handheld connects to the tools. Sometimes with Bluetooth with phones and things can be a little difficult. And it's generally that the phone can have issues. Sometimes your phone has challenges connecting. Whereas because this is a made specifically for this purpose, the handheld, it just connects seamlessly. And I was having fun connecting and disconnecting it just to kind of see how quickly everything would connect and disconnect. Another thing to mention that I like because this is the first time I've seen Testo do this. Maybe they've done it in the past and I just haven't noticed it, but it also has a K-type connection on that handheld, which Testo has traditionally been kind of resistant to it because K-type thermocouples aren't as accurate. But for those of us in the field, sometimes that's what you have and you want to be able to connect and take a temperature reading. And now you can do that with this device, which is nice. This device is an evolution of something that started as a Testo 400, and then it moved into the 435, which you might have seen and used. These were all corded, and then 435 got the first one with cordless connection, not so much wireless, but cordless with limited RF distance. And then or actually, there's a predecessor to it called the 480 which had sort of this rich complexity of all these different probes. And then they redid the whole line with the 440, where they took, like you said, just the sensor part of it and the expensive sensor part, 
hooks in, it connects on a bayonet fitting to a handle so that you aren't constantly buying this handle, the cord, the extension pieces, all those kind of things over and over again. You just buy the type of sensor that you need and you can build it out modular with the modularity. Yeah, it's nice from that standpoint, because again, if you're getting into that world where you're wanting to take really accurate, especially airflow and air quality measurements, buying individual tools can get pretty expensive over time. And this just helps consolidate it. And it also helps you kind of keep everything together. You can keep a wide variety of tools in a relatively small case compared to what you would have needed to do in the past, which is moving in the right direction, making it more accessible for a technician who's out there in the field and has to handle a lot of different tools, making it so it all fits together so it doesn't get damaged is a nice thing. Speaking of accessibility, I think you would agree. We really encourage anyone to attend this trade show. If you can make the trip or if it comes to a city near you, they do move it around the country next year. I know it will be in Atlanta and it's every three years in Chicago, but it should be on your list to come as an HVAC. For someone working in HVAC, you're just going to see and learn so much. Go to the sessions, walk the trade show floor. There were 2,100 exhibitors there. And I believe that the projected count was 60,000 attendees, six zero. So you're going to see an awful lot, absorb an awful lot. It could change the way you think, really. I went last year and I had a totally different experience than I had this year, where last year I came away, and and I mentioned this on a podcast at that time, and this was sort of early days of the podcast. What I came away with is, man, this is a big industry. And for those of you who feel like you're kind of sequestered out there doing your thing and that there's not a lot of opportunity because I know a lot of technicians may feel that way depending on where you are in the country and your employer and the type of job you're doing. Just realize that there is an enormous opportunity here. When you see just strictly from the standpoint of the amount of money being spent on the show floor, you can see that these manufacturers, they are investing in the future. They are pushing ahead and there's a lot of really good things happening in this trade. And just that realization was kind of what I came away with last year. But this year, I had a little different perspective. It was that, but then added to that, it was speaking to a lot of very influential people in the trade. I have more opportunity to do that now than I used to. And what I'm finding is, is that they're recognizing the value in you. So they see what a need there is for there to be well-trained, experienced HVAC technicians. They see that need. Basically, every organization I talk to, everyone from Dan Foss to Emerson, Every large organization that I spoke to recognizes how important filling that skills gap is. There was no challenge for me having that conversation. I wasn't having to sell the importance of training and of high quality technicians. They get it. And they're really starting to focus on it. And specifically, I listened to a presentation by Becky Holscher from Emerson, and it was a really refreshing conversation where they really get it. She really gets it. And it's cool to see. And so I think more than ever before for technicians and kind of engaging in this broader conversation is going to be something that's beneficial to the trade, but also beneficial to you and your career. I think sometimes technicians may perhaps feel threatened by the fact that the manufacturers are dumbing down the equipment or including more diagnostics or removing them from the equation. I don't think that's it at all. I think the manufacturers are trying to accommodate the fact that they're not entirely seeing everyone, all the technicians coming forward who do know their skills, do know their trade very well. So it's important to engage. And there's a lot of different platforms to engage. And I would encourage that too. Yeah. If anything, there's more opportunity than there's ever been. It's not a dumbing down. And again, it's a challenge to those of you who are out there turning a screwdriver every day to recognize that, yeah, if all you're doing is changing parts, your career is going to still continue to increase. Everybody's career is going to increase in this trade because of the skills gap. But those who are going to have the greatest opportunities are those of you who do never stop learning. 
that can be specialization in specific elements of the industry, becoming a real expert in a niche, or it can be broader, knowing a lot about the industry as a whole. And AHR is a great place to do that. If you don't mind, I want to go through a quick list of things that I think are sort of hot button considerations, though, that I saw at AHR kind of broad things for those of you out there who may want to kind of know how to stay on the cutting edge of the industry. Is that okay, Bill? It's fine. Yeah. So a couple things that I have listed other than obviously the skills gap, because that was the conversation I had more than anything else. Building performance is huge. And obviously that's a warm spot in your heart, Bill. And we stood there and listened to Joe Medosh give a presentation at his booth. It was a presentation that he had given, I think, the day before at the IAQA. And he kind of went through it very quickly. And it was really, really well done. And Joe's a super fun guy to listen to because he's so excited and passionate about the industry. And he highlighted so many things that I hadn't even thought of before. And so I think building performance and building performance considerations are going to get larger and larger in our industry and technicians who have a building performance mindset, even if you're not a building performance expert, if you can apply some building performance thinking into your day-to-day operation, I think you're going to find that you are at a huge advantage versus technicians who don't. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. So his presentation was for the IQA, which is the Indoor Air Quality Association, which is I'll call it a sister organization of ASHRAE, or they're attached to each other in terms of their technical conferences. And Joe is actually transitioning from working for Retrotech, which is a blower door duct leakage tester manufacturer, to a company called the Hayward Score. And that's H-A-Y-W-A-R-D score.com. That's very interesting. And I would encourage you to go to the Hayward Score and take the test. Brian, if you haven't done this, you should do this too. I've done this and I've encouraged actually everyone at TrueTech to to do that, everyone that works for me. It allows you to go through and look at specific areas that you know about in your home to see how they can impact the indoor air quality. And I won't get into the full story of Bill Hayward and the Hayward score, but Bill was there at the booth. He's got a director of healthy homes. Joe is working on contractor build out to actually get contractors engaged in. And a lot of the sense of being HVAC and building related. And Brian, you've met Corbett Lunsford, and that's sort of another kind of takeoff from this. Corbett is working on a television program called Home Diagnosis. And if you go to homediagnosis.tv, Corbett's working on a PBS series. And if there's anyone out there who's interested in sponsoring that, you can certainly get in touch with Corbett. And he's got a number of sponsors, including the HVAC School. Congratulations. Thank you for joining that charge there. And True Tech Tools. So we got to mention that as well. Yes. This whole idea of the built-out environment and the impact of health and comfort in the built-up environment, I think the building performance world is changing. It's reshaping. It's becoming more human. It's becoming more interesting. And, and again, going back to providing solutions for customers that have issues about comfort. It isn't about making the building performance better. It's making it better for the customer. So we stay client-focused. I'm sure you do in your business at Kalos and I do in my business at TrueTech. We try to stay customer-centric and then draw that back to what we can do to make the customer's lives, their work, whatever, better. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's just it. Because most technicians, I think they hear building performance. They're like, oh my gosh, this is this whole nother thing. It's another sales pitch. And it's not. It's substance. And what it comes down to is start with where is the customer challenged? You know, So are they having health issues? Are they having comfort issues? Are they concerned about the environment? And so that drives their decisions about energy efficiency. Those are the three things that I sort of identify as being the primaries. And so 
if the customer has those concerns and you can help do things to help solve those concerns, then that's a great value. And as an HVAC service provider, you are in a great position to do something about all these things. It's not just a matter of testing, although that's a big piece of it. It's a matter of providing solutions. And once you realize what those solutions are, you may find that it's a lot more fulfilling to really fix a problem than it is to put a Band-Aid on it. I think most of us, in as again, speaking to my experience and the audience at HVAC school, most of us have thought of IAQ as products that you push to customers in order to make more money. And I know that sounds awful, but technicians, this is how we kind of think of it, UV lights and PCOs and those sorts of things. Not that they're bad products, but we're just so used to using them as a Band-Aid on a problem where once you learn about building performance, you start to realize that, oh man, we can actually solve some of these problems at the source. We can prevent this nasty air from coming in from the crawl space and up through the wall cavities and from the attic into the indoor airspace. And that alone can solve a lot of problems. Or we can teach our customers how to control volatile organic compounds in their home that can possibly be causing challenges with them. So there's just a lot of different elements of this And technicians who understand it are going to find that they're able to serve their customers better. And I think for a lot of us, that really is the motivation. Exactly. And you use the word technicians and you didn't preface it with HVAC because sometimes I think it evolves going outside of the HVAC box, the HVAC world into other technical disciplines that you know or can easily adapt to. The building, like structure, like carpentry, framing, insulation, those kind of things. These are not beyond the scope of anyone who can work in HVAC. You have to be a jack of all trades. You have to know electrical. You have to know pressures. You have to know dynamics. I mean, it's all these things that you don't appreciate. You understand these underlying science details. And you have to work in the construction and the built environment. So it's not really a far leap to move into a perhaps augment with a different trade or partner with a different trade to be able to provide more complete solutions for people. So another thing, and this is a quick leap sideways, because I think, and I get this a lot from people who work in the commercial segments, they kind of like, okay, this is all homeowner focused. It's home focused. But when it comes to building performance, it's not just home focus. It's also the entire buildings when it comes to commercial buildings. And Joe Medosh was talking a lot about that, how some of these challenges are actually worse in commercial spaces. And in fact, many of them than they are in residential spaces. That's a broad stroke there. But I wanted to go ahead and jump into something that I heard like, I don't know, probably a hundred times when I was there. And that is IOT. And we were sitting and I had heard that before. So I was familiar with that concept, IOT being the internet of things, but we were sitting with somebody at a Honeywell event and he was talking about IOT. And my brother just sort of looks at him in his way that my brother does and says, I keep hearing people say IOT, what is IOT? And I'm like, thank you, Nathan. That's what I like about him is he's just willing to ask the question, even if he looks silly asking it. And he said, oh yeah, that's the internet of things. And the Internet of Things kind of couples in with the building automation side of things, the control side in a lot of cases. But really, it's this idea that machines are communicating with one another, generally speaking, over the Internet, but it can even be within a closed system. But you have devices that instead of communicating with humans, they're communicating with each other. And it kind of plays into the machine learning world and all of that. But there is a lot going on in that space. Did you have any of those conversations or see anything interesting in that world? Not so much, but I think that that CPS IAQ monitor, it parallels a lot of the other things that we're seeing in the industry in terms of connected devices reporting to dashboards and things like that. You probably follow Nate Adams and what he's doing and a lot of the posts that he's putting up there in terms of monitoring long-term energy consumption by homes, and he personally monitors his own home's electrical energy consumption. So that type of information gives you the richer details and richer data than you can have, from my perspective, like sort of the data logging 
instantly available long-term information, which gives you a more complete picture on how things are operating, which I think leads to smarter diagnoses of customer complaints and equipment problems. The general idea there, at least in my world, and then there's all sorts of other applications for this, is that in many cases you can, using IoT, Internet of Things, you can have sensors that are logging data that are making sense and then processing that's making sense of that data and reporting back to you without you being just fed this gigantic spreadsheet full of raw data and having to make sense of it. So the more that you have sensors and systems that are interacting with each other and making sense of things for you, the better you can respond and the more creative you can be with the way that things function. And we see this, the more advanced controls get. Um, on the commercial side, I would definitely refer everybody to Phil Zito and what he's doing at Building Automation Monthly. He's kind of my expert, the guy I look to for the commercial building automation side. And that has a lot more of the Internet of Things built into there. There's a lot in the way of supply chain and, and all that that relates to Internet of Things. But that's just something I was hearing a lot. And I think that area is going to continue to grow in advance in our industry. Absolutely. And thank you for the introduction of Phil Zito. I did get to meet him in person there at the show. And we'll be doing some things with his courses at TrueTech, offering them to a broader audience because he has a real uh, great way of communicating the educational part of uh, building automation. Going back to that comment about commercial buildings are a big aspect here. Usually the thing is commercial buildings have a budget many times, whereas uh, sometimes when you approach residential, no one's thought that they need to spend money. But a commercial entity usually understands that they're looking at cost, they're looking at utility costs, they're looking at employee downtime, they're looking at the cost of spoiled goods and things like that. So these building performance, building science aspects relate back to commercial buildings, and there's usually a line item that you can relate to. So it should be an easier sell. Right, exactly. And that's been the experience that we've had. For those of you who have kind of followed Kalos over the last couple of years, we've sort of alluded to things that are going on. Kalos is my contracting business. We've really expanded in the commercial side. And there are some really great opportunities. There's great opportunities in residential as well. But in commercial, sometimes it's easier to have a conversation with a single decision maker who's in charge of a budget and actually influence some significant change and some significant work to be done in a commercial structure. So those of you who have never tackled commercial because you maybe are concerned about that market or how difficult it can be, I would encourage you to at least consider it and you know, look at it, see if it suits your business, see if it suits your personality, because we've really been enjoying it. I talked about my brother. That's really what my brother's heading up as that side of our business. And in a short period of time, we've really made a lot of progress. In fact, our customers, some of them very, very large retailers have been extremely complimentary of the work that we've been able to do in a fairly short period of time, which is nice. And you've grown into that area. It isn't something that you had this, these attributes already. You've expanded your thinking. You've grown into that area. Yeah. In fact, I can point back to some conversations a couple of years back that led to us making these baby steps that ended up where we are today. And I will tell you from one standpoint, once you make all of those sacrifices in order to make the changes, there is very good money in that market. So those of you who are looking for something to maybe add to the stable of services that you provide, the larger commercial side of things, there's a lot of opportunities there. And that's true in building performance. That's true in typical traditional HVAC. That's true in refrigeration. That's true in controls and more of the building automation side. So there's just a lot of different elements you can go to. But what you do find in the larger side is that you generally are required to specialize a little bit more. It's hard to be a catch-all type of company when you get into the very large stuff because the complexity of the systems is increased. In one of the products, they actually had a really magnificent booth there, something that you might not have stopped at or seen. It's, and I only know this company because I know the U.S. Director of Operations, Tom Tonkins. It's called ADEY. -E 
And what they are bringing to the market from the UK is a magnetic filtration system for collecting black iron oxide, magnetite, in boilers, any hydronic heating or cooling systems. There's a lot of legacy systems out there, especially in uh, sort of more established commercial entities like hospitals and manufacturing facilities where they're not going to replace the cast iron pipe. But in the process, the water chemicals go out of balance. You get the flake off of the magnetite particles, and it gets into the heat exchangers and actually causes them to stop functioning. So then you need to flush them out. But this is a system, this is a magnetic filter that can connect back at the boiler, back at the chiller, and collect all the magnetite particles. And they make, you might think, oh, it's a filter. It looks like an oil filter. Well, yeah, they make them for residential, but they make them that are up to, I want to say, 24 inches in diameter. It's just huge systems that can be used with this magnetic system and chemical treatments. And it, at first, it looks sort of like uh, black magic, and magnetite is black, but it really works. We actually helped the company install their first system in the United States at the Cleveland University Hospital. We went in after a couple, three weeks of usage, and you should have seen all the black gunk dump out of the system for one of their boilers. So normally, if maybe people out there know more about this than I do, the commercial aspect, but if you have uh, hydronic radiators that are at the far end of the run that are blocked by the magnetite, you're not going to get heat transfer, you're not going to get flow, and you're going to have issues where, and if it's in a facility like a hospital, you really have to like shut down the wing. And sometimes you can't shut off the heating system. You have to run, do cleaning and maintenance on them while the system's still running. So this is really a very different way of looking at things, a very proactive way of maintaining boilers and chillers. Yeah, really cool. And that's an example. Like I do, I've said this many times, hydronics is not something that I do in my business. But this is where if you weren't at AHR or you didn't hear this podcast or you're not paying attention to what's going on in the industry, you may be having some of these issues and challenges and not be aware that there are easy solutions or maybe not easy, but there are at least good solutions to solve these problems. And that makes you a huge value to your customers. If you know these things that are available, instead of just saying, oh, gosh, I don't know what to do, you have good solutions. So being connected is a good thing. So say you're even early in your career and you got your hands in it and it's hard for you to break away. Well, at the very least, if you can't make a chart, listen to Bill's podcast and you'll find a lot of really good things about the industry there. And so for those of you who are listening on the HVAC School podcast, this is also playing on Bill's podcast, which is the Building HVAC Science podcast, because Bill is going to tend to talk more about more advanced things, things that are coming up in the industry and with some really great influencers in the industry. He's had some really good people on recently, whereas the HVAC School podcast, we focus more on basics. So even when we touch more advanced topics, we're generally touching it from a very basic standpoint, introducing you to the idea, whereas Bill is going to talk more about advancing technologies. So I would encourage you to subscribe to his podcast, give him a review and tell him how much you appreciate him, especially since if it wasn't for Bill, you probably wouldn't be hearing my podcast right now. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I probably would have just given up. I would have thrown in the towel and said, forget it. Because I don't know anybody in the industry, but now because of Bill, I've been introduced to so many cool people. So well, uh, feelings mutual. I feel like we've really grown from our interaction with you, me personally, and our company too. Good, great. We could keep going on and on. I think that sums it up mostly. There's a lot about ductless and VRF. We've talked a lot about that in recent years. I mean, it is incredible when you walk the floor how many ductless manufacturers there are now in comparison to what there was when I went probably five, six years ago to AHR. It's pretty incredible. So if you're not educated in that area, I would encourage you to gain some additional education. We're going to be doing a lot more training on ductless in VRF in the future. If you work for a particular manufacturer of VRF, I would suggest going to manufacturer-specific training. Anything that we do 
HVAC school, building HVAC science, any of the podcasts on the Blue Collar Roots Network, we generally aren't doing deep manufacturer-specific training. It's generally going to be a more general look at application. And so if you are going to work with a particular manufacturer, I would always encourage you to look them up. In general, you can look them up online, find their training, set up and go to their training courses, and you'll learn a ton. I mean, that's true of so many different manufacturers who we interact with. So take advantage of that. So speaking of VRF and Duckless, chance encounter on my way out of Chicago. I stop and get a bite to eat at the airport and it's this crowded restaurant. So they seat at the same time next to me, next to this other guy. And it's like, how you doing? Where you been? Oh, the HR Expo. Oh, me too. What do you do? This guy works for Mitsubishi. He's the regional sales manager for Mitsubishi out of Seattle. And so we got off into a discussion of that whole world. And I think the kind of the interesting takeaway that I got is Duckless mini splits have been here since 1984 in the U.S. continent. Yeah, Mitsubishi, they're the ones with the claim to fame of, of bringing it over to the U.S. All the way back then, yeah, it's incredible how long they've been around and how they're finally starting to become adopted. And I think it's that more than anything else, it's awareness, but it's also the flexibility of the product now. I mean, in my home, I have a Mitsubishi MXZ, which is a multi-head ductless, and I have a vertical air handler that just a typical vertical air handler that does the entire upstairs and then a wall-mounted unit down in my master bedroom. And if it wasn't for that flexibility, I probably wouldn't have chosen ductless. It probably would have been cost prohibitive, but because they have so many options now and so many different applications, it's really starting to make a lot of sense. And Mitsubishi is what, just a little bit younger than you are? <laughs> right. In, in the U.S. market. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit younger than me. Yeah. It's always kind of scary. You know, I was just walking around talking to people and I always look up people's bios on LinkedIn after I meet somebody and seeing so many of them who were in the trade before I was even born is a little humbling. Cool. Like you said, I think we've probably covered this pretty expansively. I haven't covered everything, but it was uh, fun having this discussion. We hope we stimulated thinking of people that are out there listening to either one of our podcasts and to interact, to learn, to grow. That's what we're trying to encourage here. All right. Well, thank you for everything, Bill. And I'm sure we'll be doing some more podcasts together very soon. Back at you, Brian. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed that episode where Brian and I got to cover some of the things that we found interesting at the AHR Expo. We have other trade-oriented podcasts as part of the Blue Collar Roots Network that we're both involved in. You can find those at www.bluecollarroots.com, where we're trying to do our part to help transform and professionalize the trades by filling the skills gap through training and communication. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing Building HVAC Science into the search bar for Apple, for the podcast app, for Android, Google Play, or for Stitcher. And you can also listen in your browser at bluecollarroots.com forward slash building dash HVAC dash science. If you want to keep up with other things that we find interesting, take a look at our Facebook page, which you'll find by typing in Building HVAC Science Podcast or Building HVAC Science into the Facebook app. Two closing thoughts. If you're in the market for some of the tools or test instruments mentioned in our podcast, take a look at truetechtools.com. That's the company that I own. You can use the code HVACBS for a nice discount. Also, if you're interested in advertising on the Building HVAC Science podcast, just drop me an email at bill underscore spone at bluecollarroots.com and we can set you up in order to reach some of the people that we reach on a regular basis. And as I typically do, we'll close with a thought or a quote. And this is one I've adapted from something that Albert Einstein had said. What is correct is not always popular and what is popular is not always correct. Take away that thought 
And we hope you have a great rest of your day and you tune in again to more episodes of the Building HVAC Science Podcast.